So uh, a couple of year, weeks ago, we finished up a series that we called Villains. And this series really was looking at villains from Scripture, but, but they weren't really people in Scripture. You would think like, like people like Jezebel or Pharaoh or Haman would be people that we were looking at. But instead, we were looking at things in Scripture that are described like villains. So we looked at things like, like the heart, the tongue, the love of money, pride, and we sort of came to this conclusion that we are villains, that we're villains, that these things live inside of us. And when we, when we follow those ways, we're separating ourselves from God. So I feel like I did a lot of stepping on toes in that series, which isn't always a bad thing, but I kind of feel like that was on top of how just the world beats us up on a daily basis, right? And then I'm also concerned about how people have been feeling during this whole pandemic and, and, and their mental health. And it got me thinking that maybe at this point we could just, we need to pull back and just have a message about grace and compassion. Now, when I think of this word grace, I, I often see two extreme reactions to grace in our own lives. And both extreme reactions are wrong. There are many Christians who believe that they just need a, a little bit of grace because they only commit, you know, the minor sins. They're, they're not that bad. They're generally good people. Their sins aren't all that bad. And so they kind of think of grace as something that other people are in desperate need of because other people are the really bad sinners, not, not the saved like them. And these people make a mockery of grace and, the, and what Jesus did on the cross by basically living in such a way that says, Jesus died for horrible sinners, of which I am not. You know, Jesus, Jesus died for them, but I've, I've done my part, so I only need a little bit of grace. Now, they would never have the audacity to say something like that or, or even maybe think it. It's just how they live. And if I'm being brutally honest, there are days where I fall into this camp. But then there's another extreme reaction to grace, and it's those who feel like they are so bad, so sinful, so unlovable, so unwanted, that they feel that they don't deserve grace. Which, to be honest, they, they don't deserve grace. None of us deserve it. That's the very beauty and nature of grace is that it is undeserved merit. But the extreme reaction is that they don't think that their sins could ever be covered. And so they also make a mockery of grace and of the cross of Christ by living in such a way that says that the cross wasn't enough to cover over my sins. What Jesus did on the cross was not powerful enough to atone for what I've done because you, you don't know what I've done. It's bad. And if you really knew me, you'd be ashamed of me too. And there are many days where I fall into this camp as well. So this morning, I think the Bible story we're going to look at gives us just an incredible perspective on the grace of God. But before we get into that story, I, I want to kind of do things a little bit differently today. I, I want to tell you another story. And it's a story of a, a young couple. We're going to call them Henry and Gabby. So there was a young man named Henry. And Henry was a godly man. He was faithful and righteous. And he met a young woman named Gabby. Now to say that Gabby had a bit of a past would be an understatement. She had done some things in her life that she was ashamed of. But Henry knew about her past. And it didn't matter to him. Henry loved Gabby so much to him. She was beautiful. She was stunning. She was loved. And there was nothing that anyone could say or do that would change his love for her. 
Henry treated Gabby like a queen, and Gabby would often wonder why someone would love her that much and treat her so well after they knew what she had done. Well, eventually, Henry proposed to Gabby, and she, of course, said yes, and and they were married, and they seemed to be doing well, you know, for the most part. There there were times, though, when when Gabby would, would seem a little bit strange, a little bit off. You know, Henry would come home from work, and Gabby would seem like, act like she's very standoffish, sort of like she was afraid of getting too close to him. But it wasn't all the time, just sometimes. Well, it wasn't long into their marriage that Gabby announced that she was pregnant, and Henry was so excited. But as the pregnancy continued, Gabby again seemed to just grow a little bit disconnected. Henry couldn't quite put his finger on what it was, but he continued to love on Gabby and take care of her. Finally, the baby was born, and it was a son. He was a spitting image of his daddy. And Henry was so proud. He was so excited to be a dad. And they had talked about names, but they hadn't decided on one. And in the delivery room, Henry was shocked, though, when Gabby said, I have a name for him. I want to name him Slaughter. Slaughter? What kind of name is Slaughter? It's a, it's a massacre. It's a bloodbath. It's the name of violence. But because he loved his wife, and because she absolutely insisted... He submitted. And so he'd have fun with the name. You know, he'd call his baby boy Sergeant Slaughter after his favorite G.I. Joe, you know, but, but it was just weird. Henry loved this baby boy and took such good care of him. And, and he loved Gabby with all his heart and he took such good care of her. But she seemed still very different, off. Like she wouldn't look him in the eyes very much anymore. She rarely touched him. In fact, She often shied away from Henry when he would try and hold her hand or softly touch her face. She would pull away when he would go in to hug her, and she hardly ever told him that she loved him anymore. Although Henry made it a point to communicate his love to her very, very often. It even got to the point where Henry would come home from work and Gabby would just immediately leave for hours at a time. Sometimes she wouldn't even return until the very next morning, and she wouldn't tell Henry where she was going She would just say, I I need some alone time. I need some time to myself. And she would leave. Well, sometime later, Gabby became pregnant again. This time they were to have a baby girl, and Henry was so excited to have a girl. But he was once again horrified when Gabby announced their daughter's name. Unloved. Unloved? Slaughter? what, What kind of family did they have, Henry wondered. What would people think? Not only that, but this baby didn't seem to resemble Henry at all. I mean, Henry had his suspicions, but seeing this child seemed to validate those suspicions. Yet even though Gabby was acting so strangely, even though she seemed to be distancing herself from him, even though he suspected that she had been unfaithful to him, Henry still loved Gabby. He went out of his way to serve her. He was loyal to her. He spoke highly of her. He would do all the little things for her, even though she didn't even seem to appreciate any of it. He did whatever he could to show her how much he loved her in hopes that she would return just even a portion of that love to him. Well, it wasn't long until Gabby became pregnant a third time. And although Henry was excited to be a dad again, to have another son, he was also heartbroken. He and Gabby hadn't been intimate since their daughter was born. 
On the outside, he made sure that Gabby had everything that she needed, that she was well taken care of during her pregnancy. And he never confronted Gabby about how she had been unfaithful. But at night, as Gabby slept, he would go to another room and he would cry. He was torn, battling these feelings of of love for his wife and this pain in knowing that she had been unfaithful. When the third child was born, Gabby confirmed Henry's deepest pain by naming him fatherless. Fatherless? As in this child had no father in the picture, what was Henry? Yet unbelievably, Henry didn't blow up. He didn't lash out. He didn't demand that Gabby tell him right now the truth about her unfaithfulness. Instead, he continued to love Gabby and care for his three children. Well, one morning, Henry was awakened by the sound of his youngest child crying, and he went in to feed his son. And when he walked back to the bedroom and got in there, he noticed there was a note folded up on his nightstand with his name on it. He walked over, unfolded the note, and began to read. And tears poured down his face as he read this letter from Gabby. She told him she didn't love him anymore. That she'd been unfaithful to him. She told him she'd been leaving the house each night and prostituting herself and using the money to buy drugs. She told him how shameful she felt. She couldn't bear to wake up each morning next to him every day knowing that she was going to go out and be with another man later that day. Henry's worst nightmare had come true. He had no idea what to do. All he could do was think, think to do was dive into taking care of his children and being the dad that his children desperately needed him to be. But at night, when the kids were in bed and he lay, lay alone with only his thoughts, all he could do was think about Gabby. You would think that he would be angry. You would think that he would be bitter. You would think that, that he would wish there was such a thing as karma and that she would get hers. But instead, he lie awake thinking about how much he missed her, how much he loved her. He worried for her safety. He prayed that she was doing okay. He pleaded with God that she would come home. Finally, one day after praying for Gabby, he decided to make a bold move. He called his mom, asked her to come over and take care of the kids, and then he went to the bank and he cashed out most of his retirement, a big chunk of it, And that night, he got into his car and he headed downtown to the roughest, sleaziest part of town. Once there, he saw a woman on the street corner dressed as though she was trying to get the attention of men. He pulled up next to her and rolled down his window. The woman peered in and asked if he was looking for a good time. Henry looked at her. It was not Gabby. And so he pulled out some money and a wedding picture from his wallet. And he asked if she recognized this woman if he, she knew where Gabby was. The woman took the money and said, yeah, she's usually at the corner of 6th and High. Henry thanked her and headed toward that corner. And as he neared the corner, he saw her. Now, she didn't look like the Gabby that he knew. She was in stilettos and a tight mini skirt that barely covered her. Her makeup was thickly applied and there wasn't much to her top. Henry's heart began to race. He didn't know if he should feel mad or sad. But as he pulled up closer, all he felt was compassion and love. He pulled up to her, he rolled down the window, and, he glanced in her, and she glanced in the car. She was too strung out to recognize him. She said, want some company? 
He said, Gabby? How do you know my name? She said. She looked again in the, in the car. And as if she was awakening from a nightmare, she gasped. She said, Henry, what are you doing here? Gabby, I miss you. I love you and I want you back. Gabby felt paralyzed. And then panic struck her. She said, you, sh- you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. You need to get out of here. But just then a large, strong, scary looking man came up behind Henry or behind Gabby. He looked at Henry and he said, is there a problem? Henry looked at this man and immediately knew this was not someone to be messed with, but he didn't care. He told the man, this is my wife and I'm taking her home. The large man looked at Henry, pulled up his shirt just enough to reveal his gun. And he said to Henry, oh no, you're not little man. She's mine. She works for me. Gabby turned to Henry and said, Henry, just just go, just get out of here. But Henry did get out. He got out of his car and he approached the large, scary man and asked if they could speak privately. Gabby waited by the car and watched as the two men walked over to an alley and they appeared to have a very heated exchange. She fell to the ground and she cried, feeling helpless and fearing for Henry's life. Minutes later, the large man walked back over to her. He was leafing through a stack of money and he told her, that's crazy. You ain't worth $50, let alone 50000 Get out of here, you whore. He looked back at Henry who was approaching Gabby and he said, she's all yours. Gabby's face fell into her knees and tears poured down her face. Henry came over to her and he extended his hand But Gabby wouldn't look up, and so he reached his hand gently under her chin and lifted her head head until their eyes met. And he said, Gabby, I love you, and I want you back. Please get in the car and come home. He reached for her hand and gently pulled her up, and they embraced, and all Gabby could do was sob and squeeze out the words, why? Henry said, I love you. I always have. And I always will. So this story is kind of my modern uh, update of an incredible story that's found in the Old Testament. You see, there was once a prophet named Hosea. And God was going to use Hosea's life in quite an unusual way to serve as as an example of his love for his people. In Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, God instructed Hosea saying, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So she married, or so he married Gomer, daughter of the blame, and she conceived and bore him a son. So the Lord told Hosea to, to marry an adulterous woman, a woman who would cheat on him. And we don't read of Hosea questioning this. We don't read that he complains about this. It just says that he did. He married a woman named Gomer. I know some of you are thinking, well, golly, right? That just seems like a a very funny name for a woman. But together, Hosea and Gomer, uh, they, they marry and they have a son. And God instructed Hosea to name this baby Jezreel. 
The name Jezreel means God scatters, which is a pretty weird name too. But what made this name even more strange is that Jezreel was actually the name of a place where there had been a lot of violent battles. A lot of bloodshed occurred in Jezreel. And so to the Israelites, it represented a place of violence, a place of war, a place of carnage, a place of slaughter. The name was a reminder of Israel's blood guilt as a nation. The next child that Gomer had was a girl named Lo Ruhamah. This baby was probably not Hosea's daughter, but probably a daughter conceived through an extramarital affair. The root word, Ruhamah, is a very beautiful word. It describes God's tender mercy and compassion. However, the negative prefix, Lo, when you put it on that, reverses the meaning of that word. And it signals the withdrawal of God's love, mercy, and compassion for Israel. And so the name Lo-Ruhamah basically meant not loved or unloved. It's probably not a a name that's going to crack the top 100 baby names for 2020, right? Or maybe it will. It is 2020. I don't know. It's been a rough one. (laughs) Finally, Gomer had another son. And again, it was probably from from an affair because God wanted them to name this child Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And this was probably not Hosea's son. This name was given to signify that the Lord was rejecting the people of Israel because they had rejected him. God actually gives the reason for the name in verse 9. He says, For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Well, at some point, we don't know exactly how it happened, but Gomer left Hosea. There's some indication that her children drove her away, but she left, which to be honest, she had checked out long before she had walked out. So Gomer leaves and eventually becomes a slave. And most scholars believe that she had become a sex slave, a prostitute. But in Hosea chapter three, verse one, Hosea writes this, that the Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again. Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So Homer is to love Gomer as God loves the Israelites. And he compares the unfaithfulness of Gomer to the unfaithfulness of the Israelites who had turned to other gods. And they did something also that was incredibly horrible. They loved the sacred raisin cakes. God never has to worry about me loving the sacred raisin cakes. I, I'm just telling you right now, I, I don't like raisins. Uh, but these sacred raisin cakes, they, they were probably eaten as part of pagan worship. And so what this did was it, it just reveals how carnal Israel had begun, had become, how far away they had removed themselves from God. Hosea then goes and talks about what it took to get Gomer back though. Because she was a sex slave, he had to pay for her release, for her freedom. And so verse 2 says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. He had to buy his own wife back. So Hosea seeks out Gomer. He pursues her. He finds her and he buys her freedom. Now the normal price for buying the freedom of a slave was 30 shekels of silver, which is kind of Uh, ironic maybe with the 30 shekels of silver that Judas was paid. But the normal price of paying for freedom of a slave was 30 shekels of silver. It equaled about four months wages or so. 
So this was obviously a lot of money for Hosea because he brought what amounted to 30 shekels of silver, but he brought it in both silver and barley. The the way in which Hosea paid was was kind of strange. It wasn't normal to pay by combining silver and grain. So this indicates that Hosea probably had a very, very difficult time raising the money. To Hosea, this would have been a significant amount. Well, after Hosea pays for Gomer's freedom, he says to her in verse 3, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same toward you. So, the question has to be asked. Why? Why, why, why would God ask Hosea to do all this? To marry a woman who would be unfaithful. In fact, many scholars believe that Gomer was a prostitute even before they were married. And then, why would God have Hosea pursue Gomer after she had left him? And the answer is simple. God used Hosea's life as an example of how he loved his people. So God's people at the time were the Israelites and they were constantly unfaithful to God. If you even have a cursory understanding of Old Testament history, then you know how the Israelites would go back and forth with their devotion to God. Like over and over, God would prove his, his love and faithfulness to them and they would follow him for a little while and then they'd leave him. They would worship idols They would do horrible, horrible things. Yet God continued to love them. He would discipline his people. They would come back. He would restore them. Over and over, though, his people proved to be unfaithful. And over and over, he proved to be faithful. So what's the point of all this? Like many of us, we might hear the story of Hosea and Gomer and we might come away with the conclusion that, you know, we're like Hosea. We're we're to forgive. We're to show, show compassion and grace to others who wrong us. And yes, We are supposed to forgive. We are supposed to show grace and compassion to others, but that's that's not why God had Hosea go through all this. The point is, we should be relating ourselves to Gomer and to the Israelites. Hosea is representative of God, and we, like Gomer, we've been unfaithful to God. We've been enslaved to sin. We've been adulterous. And some of us, We've looked at our lives and we've looked at what we've done or what others have done to us and we feel used up, unclean, unworthy, unloved, unnoticed, unwanted. I've been in full-time ministry for just over 20 years and about 12 of those years I did student ministry and I still try and connect with students. Uh, Over the years though, I've been overwhelmed with hurting young people and this is One of the reasons I wanted students to be in here today. Students would come up to me and they'd ask me to pray for their friends who are dealing with feelings of being unloved and unwanted. I would hear stories of students cutting themselves, stories of eating disorders, stories of depression, students who had committed suicide. I would hear about girls who were giving themselves up to guys just so that they would feel loved, just so that they would feel wanted and they wouldn't lose a guy. I know of students who have been bullied so badly that they feel worthless. And the devil just has to be thrilled by all this, right? Because he's distorting their identity in Christ. But it's not just students. I had a woman come up to me after the service, after first service, and just say, who would want to deal with this mess of a life? 
I know of adults who are carrying around so much baggage, so much shame and hurt and feelings of unworthiness and rejection. I've had people reach out to me and talk about the immense burdens they're carrying. One person told me that she felt so unworthy to even step inside the church building because everyone else's sins seemed so minor compared to what she had done. And then she went on to describe the shame and pain and remorse and guilt that she had carried with her for years and years and years over her late-term abortion. She felt like she was too far out of the reach of God's grace to ever be forgiven. But the story of Hosea and Gomer is a reminder that we are never, ever too far gone. That you are not overlooked. You are not unnoticed. You are not rejected. You're not too ugly, too sinful, too dirty, too shameful, too screwed up. That you are loved. God told Hosea to show his love to Gomer and buy her freedom. And what an incredible foreshadowing of Jesus that this was. Jesus would leave the glory of heaven, take on flesh, live a sinful, sinless life, and suffer the most humiliating and excruciating death on a cross to show us his love and the extent in which he would go to buy our freedom and rescue us from the slavery of sin. You are loved beyond comprehension. Romans 8, 35 to 39 says, <clears throat> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. The story is about him and his love for us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, nothing you can do Nothing you can feel, nothing that, anything that anyone else has done to you can keep Jesus from loving you. So maybe your parents have named you unloved. Maybe your so-called friends call you unwanted. Maybe Satan accuses you of being unworthy. Maybe social media has labeled you rejected. But Jesus calls you beloved. Just like the love that Hosea showed Gomer, God loves you and pursues you. He pursues you so much that he sent his one and only son to die just so he could say, please come back home. I want you. I love you. I always have. And I always will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read through Scripture, there's an unusual characteristic of yours. The Bible describes you as a jealous God. As a jealous God. That you are jealous for us 
for our devotion and attention and worship. You are jealous because we are yours. And yet we place our worship and devotion and love towards someone or something else. But that characteristic lets us know something pretty incredible about you. That though you have the power to just wipe us out, and to be honest, we deserve that, it also reveals that you actually want us. There are days when I, most of my life, I don't understand why. I don't understand why you would want me after how I've treated you after what I've done, after how I've turned away from you. I don't know why you would want me back. And I'm sure there are many of us who feel that way. But God, we love that you are a jealous God. Demonstrates that you love us and want us back. And so God, as we understand a little bit more of this story from Hosea and Gomer and understand the picture that you were trying to create of how you love us even in spite of our sin and shame, even in spite of how we have rejected you. God, I pray that that would motivate us to live for you and follow you, that we would never be motivated by, by guilt, but that we, we, we would be motivated because we are loved that love changes everything. That while we were still sinners, while we were still adulterous, while we were still prostituting ourselves, Christ died for us. So God, we thank you for the lengths that you have gone to demonstrate your love for us. The lengths that you have gone to show us that we are wanted the lengths that you have gone to rescue us from the pit of hell, the lengths that you have gone to rescue us and buy us back from the slavery of sin that we have been entrapped in. God, I pray today that we would understand that we are loved by our Creator and that we have not just an obligation but a privilege of letting other people know that they are loved as well and that Jesus has paid the price to rescue them. Thank you for demonstrating that. Thank you for demonstrating that by opening your arms wide and dying on a cross to bring us back home. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. And maybe that response is just, you, you could use some prayer right now. Maybe you feel like you're too unworthy, too unloved, too unwanted to ever experience the love of God. And maybe you just need prayer in knowing that it is true. Maybe you need prayer for somebody else. Or maybe you need to, for the first time, accept this love that God offers. Accept the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you. Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Place your trust in him and follow that through with baptism. And so I'm going to be up here to your right during this next song. And I'll, I'll have my mask on. Um, 
or if you want to just catch me after the service or any time, we want to make ourselves available to any decision you might need to make and help you walk through that next step. So will you stand and sing?